Welcome to the Bridge Church Podcast. Our purpose statement at Bridge Church is to reach people where they are and help them grow. We hope today's message inspires you towards growth, and we pray it's life-changing, and we hope to see you soon. First off, um, every time I get an opportunity to serve in this church, whenever I have an opportunity to lead or direct the team, and even in this case, uh, preach, I have uh, nothing but thanks to give our pastors, like Pastor Josh, uh, Pastor James, and Pastor Russell, because everything I do in saying yes to Jesus in this church is a direct reflection of their pastoring. So put our hands together. Let's just bless our pastors. Because the sacrifice that it takes to to be a shepherd is more than I'll ever know. So I'm very thankful for that. Thank you. Uh, If you have your Bibles with you, can you go ahead and turn to Matthew chapter 6? We're going to read verses 25 to 34 together. Matthew chapter 6, verses 25 to 34. Uh, If you don't have your Bibles with you, you're going to have it on the screen for us to read it together. I'm reading out of the ESV version. Matthew chapter 6, verse 25 to 34. Therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap no gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his lifespan? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin, yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, he will not much more, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore, do not be anxious, saying, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things. And your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all these things will be added to you. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Let's pray. Uh, Father, in this moment, we can do nothing but give you thanks because you have welcomed us into your presence. You have allowed us to worship you. And we ask that you would accept our praise. And in this moment, in the preaching of your word, Father, would you simply use me that we would not just hear your word, but we would have our eyes, our ears, our minds, our hearts opened to fully understand your word. We want to be transformed by your loving truth. In the mighty name and perfect name of Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. In this life, we all have a purview. 
There are things that we have seen. There are things that we experience on a daily basis. And there are things that we can therefore presume are going to happen. Things that we can see coming. But we have this purview in a fallen world. And everywhere we turn in this life, we are going to face difficulty and for certain experience brokenness. If you turn and look to one side of your life, you are going to see brokenness like corrupt government. You are going to see brokenness like dysfunctional organizations. And you're also going to see broken systems. Not only that, broken people that make up government and systems and organizations. If you turn and look to the other side of your life, you're going to see and experience broken relationships. We all know someone that has a difficult marriage, someone that has a difficult parenting-child relationship. We all have complicated friendships, and we definitely have complicated family dynamics. (laughs) And if you turn around, it doesn't get any better. You come face to face with a past filled with things you might regret, things you wish you can forget, or things you wish you can change. Because of this purview in a fallen world, it can cause us to hopelessly look into our future, taking every step filled with anxiety. Now, I grew up in a Haitian household. And there was one phrase I always heard growing up. Patrick, fais attention. Fais attention translates to make attention or pay attention because in this fallen world, you got to be careful. Things can go wrong at any given moment. But I heard this for everything. I mean, walking the stove by myself, Patrick, fais attention. Warming up some food on the stove, it might get hot. Patrick, fais attention. Can I hang out with some friends this Saturday night at the park? Patrick, you know you can't trust no one. Fais attention. And the truth of the matter is that even though it began as just a phrase that I would hear, I had no idea that these were the many threads that would become the full fabric on how I would process the rest of my life. Taking every step filled with utmost concern, worry, having my mind become a processor that only sees life through what can go wrong. And if I'm being honest, I think we all can relate to this because it's about two years ago we faced a pandemic, something that no one saw coming. And a lot of us may have experienced economic difficulty, job loss. Some companies realize that we can get double the work done with half the workforce, And you may have been laid off or furloughed from your job. And just how our economy is ever shifting because of the pandemic in these past two years adds to that difficulty. Some of us also experience family loss with loved ones and friends. And what makes that difficult is in these past two years, given the nature of this pandemic, we've even lost the ability to grieve those that we've lost family, friends, and loved ones. And I tend to know, because for me, I'm an aviation guy. I'm an aviator. And in the aviation industry, turbulence is simply defined as a disruption in airflow. There are times where your life is going by smoothly. You're just at cruising altitude. 
and out of nowhere, things seem to be shaken up. Again, like two years ago, the pandemic. So when life becomes turbulent or when we have turbulent moments in our lives that makes us anxious, we can only wonder what else can it be? What else is going to go wrong? What else can happen? But the other beautiful truth is that in the midst of all this difficulty, God gives an answer. This morning, we read and spent some time going over Matthew chapter 6, verses 25 to 34. And if I'm being honest with you, this small passage is actually of a greater message that Jesus is preaching. It's his famous Sermon on the Mount. And when Jesus is preaching this message, you would assume rightfully so the Messiah is finally here. And in one of his inaugural sermons, he is hitting almost every single major topic. He's talking about lust, talking about adultery, talking about loving your neighbors. He even goes on to explain what it means to fast. And this is the same exact sermon, the same exact teaching where Jesus shows us how to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. It's all in the same sermon. And then Jesus, for me, seems to pivot and talk about worrying or talk about anxiety and telling us to not give into it. And it can seem unfair because we live in a fallen world. There's brokenness every single where we turn. But I have to be more honest in saying even how difficult it is in hearing that passage in Jesus' grand sermon, Sermon on the Mount, it does actually fit in this sermon that he's preaching. Because anxiety is actually stopping us from putting our trust in God. Anxiety needs to be treated as a sin, just as sinful as the lust and the adultery and all of what else Jesus is preaching. So if indeed that anxiety is something that I am going to face in this world, and Jesus is preaching the message for us to not give into anxiety, I have to believe that the answer that God gives us is Jesus. But what I love about the ministry of Jesus is that he never preaches or asks us to do anything to the Christian standard that he has not found victory in first. When we look at, again, this whole sermon that Jesus is preaching, the Sermon on the Mount, there are events that take place at which Jesus experienced God for himself. And if we just quickly reference Matthew chapter 4, this is a passage that talks about Jesus and being tempted by the devil in the desert, Okay. Right before that event takes place, out from heaven breaks God's voice. And we hear, everyone hears God say to Jesus after being baptized, this is my son whom I love, with him I'm well pleased. Right after that, the scriptures actually say, the spirit now filled with God, Jesus is now led by God, filled with God, into a desert where it seems to be left alone by God. And in these passages, in these scriptures, we see Jesus say no to these three temptations. And in the very first one that Jesus says no to, the devil is asking Jesus to go ahead and turn stone into bread. Now, Jesus does something here that I think we all can practice. Every time we are facing temptations, especially in our minds, trying to battle anxiety, looking and fighting for the truth, we need to recite the truth that we know. 
Jesus now being 30 up until this moment in the scriptures spent his previous years being built up by the word of God so that in moments of weakness, fasting in the desert for 40 days, no water, no food, he only has God's word to remember. But not only is Jesus reciting just some verses, he is actually pointing to Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 3, because in that passage, the Israelites at this point are in their exodus from Egypt and they're going or trying to go into the promised land. And in this moment, Moses is teaching them that man shall not live by bread alone. The same exact thing that Jesus repeated to the devil. The importance of just looking at this verse as far as stones or bread or trying to live and survive is that Jesus is actually saying that I don't need food. God's promises are what's going to pull me through these moments of difficulty. We have to believe and understand that the Israelites coming out from Egypt, where it was a place that that was all they knew in the desert for almost 40 years before going into the promised land. They had also seen some things. They were experiencing daily difficulties. And we can also presume that they can only hope that their future was also filled with more anxieties. They also had to turn to the word of God to trust that this manna, no matter what the actual manna food really was, was a representation of God's faithfulness through difficulty. I know that I have a bit of an inconsistent thought pattern where, as a believer, I should not be going through any difficulty. More so because I serve a God that's all-powerful. But again, we're going to see on more than one account where Jesus is facing difficulty. And he's not asking God to simply just take these hardships away. But he is trusting God to provide in the moments of difficulty. Now that we fully understand that Jesus has credibility before he comes to Matthew 6 to what seems to be easily say, trust God, don't worry. We now know that Jesus proved it for himself. He experienced the power of God the Father, Jehovah, Jireh. So now coming into this passage, Jesus is now urging us that the preliminary way in trying to manage our anxieties is Matthew 6, 33. Seeking God's kingdom first and his righteousness. And even our Lord says it himself and all these other things will come and follow suit. So that helps us to understand that when the devil is trying to tempt Jesus to turn stone into bread, Jesus knows even though I'm hungry, I don't need this. Seeking God's kingdom and righteousness first is going to allow me to come to a place where I can break bread and feed 5,000 people. I can go ahead and turn water into wine. Jesus knows through God those things will come. Okay? But the Bible does not stop there in regards to Jesus managing anxieties. And I actually want to add this as well. We can often think that Jesus, although fully God, fully man, never dealt with any real temptations. Again, I know for me how I can misinterpret the Bible. I can feel like, well, that's Jesus. Of course, he's going to like not fall into sin. But if you think about the weight that was on Jesus's shoulders, dying on a cross to redeem all of us back to God the Father, that is for every sin that has been committed, committed at that time and will ever be committed. So we are sitting in our seats, literally thankful for Jesus. 
So that pressure and in that moment of temptation, when the devil is trying to give him, like Pastor James preached a few weeks ago in the Elevated series, he tried to give Jesus shortcuts to the cross. But Jesus had his mind kept on what was to come for our future and his own. But what's most important about the temptation is that there comes a time where Jesus, knowing his word that God will provide, is continually saying no to the devil. Two things happen that we have to take note of. Number one, and the Lord's rejection of all this temptation. Matthew 4.11 says that angels come and they strengthen Jesus. They come and they minister to Jesus. Now, I gave you guys some French. I'm going to give you guys some Greek. Okay. <laughs> so the Greek word for angels is anglos. And we need to know the definition because in this society, we hear the word angels and think about white clothes, wings, a halo. But in fact, when we look at how the Greek defines angels in saying angelos, it's actually a messenger, someone that is coming to bring a word to someone. So even during the end of Jesus fighting off the devil's temptations, Matthew 4.11 says that the angels come and they minister to Jesus. If even Jesus needs to be reminded of God's truth, how much more do you think we need that same reminder? To honestly just be in the word, honestly inviting people into the how, like our process and how we think to really just share. I got something to say. I want to say this. Let me know how I sound to you because I'm always wondering what else can go wrong. I need someone that is also godly, not just my scriptures, but pastors, counselors, Godly brothers and sisters that can step in to help us process this difficult life in this fallen world. I can promise you, I come home from work almost every day crying to my wife because my job is dysfunction and the world is crazy. I take the A train to work every day. That's its own ministry. So every time I come home, there are moments where I'm just sharing with my wife the kind of day that I'm having. Sharing with her all of what I'm afraid might happen, whether in the job or the workspace or wherever. And my wife, in godliness, represents this word angelos, where she is listening and allowing me to get it all off my chest. And she is encouraging me how angels encourage Jesus, reminding someone of the truth when their mind tends to start believing these lies. What's also very important to note is that when the Lord is responding to the devil's temptations, the first thing, and in fact, the only thing he tells him is, it is written, recites a verse. Next temptation, it is written, recites a verse. The last temptation, he starts by saying, it is written, recites a verse. Oftentimes, we not need reference our own opinions, but what's already written. Jesus never has a conversation with the devil. He's not trying to convince the devil. Oftentimes, we have difficult people in our lives, to be honest, that just give us a hard time. We need to deposit the truth and just walk the other way. <laughs> Let them just sit with the truth that's already written, okay? So now, fast-forwarding back to Matthew 6. Matthew 6 serves to be like the, the anchor that this credibility that Jesus has in telling us not to worry, okay? We've covered that. 
But now the things that happen next are actually going to more so prove that Jesus was actually bearing the weight of saving the world and how that was a moment of anxiety for him. Okay, so if we just fast forward into the book of Luke, chapter 22, this is where Jesus is in the Mount Gethsemane. In the Garden of Gethsemane, this is where Jesus also knows that he is on the verge of being crucified. On the verge of being crucified, he also knows that he is going to face excruciating pain. They are going to be ripping the beard out of his face. They are going to be nailing his hands, and his feet to a cross. And in the midst of facing this difficulty, there's a moment where Jesus is praying to God the Father. Even Jesus asks God the Father, is there no other way? I do want to save my people. I do love all of those who will come to salvation. But Father, is there any other way? And the truth of the matter and what we see him practicing in this moment is that we need to learn to practice being honest with God. There are things where I wish I can just say, God, is there any other way? But the first part of experiencing God's faithfulness is at least getting past that point of saying, I hate this. Difficult moments where I can't understand the mysteries of what life gives me. Father, I hate this. And I want to at least let that get out. I want to at least confess that. So then I can see God's faithfulness take me from that. So in the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus literally repeats the things that I hope we continue to practice, that we can learn from this. He's honest with God. This is difficult. But we even see it again at the end of this passage where Jesus is then strengthened by the angels again. It blows my mind when I read this. The same thing happens in these two supporting documents or eyewitness accounts of Jesus simply telling us to trust God more and not give in to anxiety. Luke is a, what theologians would say at that time was a physician. Someone that simply understood how the body works. And in his eyewitness account of how the Lord was going through this moment of anxiety, he actually says that Jesus was so nervous, was so filled with anxiety sweats of blood were dripping down his face. Now, scientifically, whether it was the blood vessel capillaries or not, or whether it was just trying to show how dense the sweat was, Jesus wasn't in a place of comfort. He was in a place of having to hear from God. And again, we see that word angelos. Angels coming to not only strengthen Jesus, but to strengthen him by ministering to Jesus. And I am a firm believer That when angels came and they strengthened Jesus, they were reminding him of the names that he was going to die for. Reminding him about the fulfillment of God's redemptive campaign to bring us all back and being reconciled with God. Being reminded of the importance of being crucified for us brought a lot of weight on Jesus' shoulders. So I wanted to walk away with really thinking of these few major points. Number one, we need to learn to let community into our lives, helping us process how difficult and how crazy this life is. Secondly, being honest with God. There are moments where we have great fear in what is to come, but even where we don't know what our future holds, we do know who holds our future. 
And lastly, if you find yourself by the grace of the benevolent God not suffering with anxiety, God bless you. (laughs) But even if you find yourself at cruising altitude where you're not going through turbulence, be that person to be a listening ear for a brother or a sister. To be that angelos and strengthening them on what they need to believe. Truth of themselves or whatever they may be going through. I remember a few years ago, I was at work. I work at JFK as aircraft technician. And um, I was at work and they asked me to fly to Rochester to recover a broken aircraft. They'll send a pilot and fly it back to JFK. And the type of job that we had to perform, it was a job that was so serious, I needed to have a quality inspector with me. And a quality inspector is someone that basically knows the airplane front and back, back to forward, side to side. So we hop on this flight to Rochester, we load up our tools, we get to the jet bridge, and it just starts to rain, wind gusts crazy. So our flight is delayed. Now we get back on the airplane, finally FAA and ATC, they clear us for takeoff, and we're on our way to Rochester. The distance between JFK and Rochester is not that long. It's like a 40-minute flight to an hour and a half sometimes. So you're never able to fly above the clouds where there can be clear skies. The whole entire flight was nothing but turbulence. Jumping around, bumping up and down, and you can feel your stomach bumping into your lungs. At some point, I opened the window. The wings are flexing like bird wings. And I thought, like, not supposed to happen. What is that? (laughs) And while all this is happening, I throw my eyes over the aisle to look up what the inspector is doing. The inspector is just sitting there relaxed on his phone (laughs) while all this is going down. Like the inspector, when we truly understand the power and magnificence of God, we can rest assured that in this turbulent life, he will be stable. Let's pray. Uh, Father, we can do nothing but give you thanks that in this time, it's not my opinion, my thoughts, my words that can't convince anyone your majesty, your beauty, your perfection, your provision, So I ask that we would not just be hearers of the word, but be doers of the word. In the name of your mighty son, we pray. Amen. We hope today's message was encouraging for you. We'd also love to hear how God used this message to speak to you. We hear from people all across the country about what God is doing through our podcast, and we'd love to hear from you. You can email us at info at bridgechurchnyc.com. You can also find us on Facebook and Instagram. Our handle for both of those social media outlets is at bridgechurchnyc. Our website is bridgechurchnyc.com. If you're in the New York City area, we have services at 4 p.m. and 6 p.m. on Sundays at 98 Fifth Avenue in Brooklyn, New York, right next to the Barclay Center. We are praying for you and we hope to see you soon.